When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Many Happy Miles, a podcast that celebrates all types of forward movement, whether you're heading on an epic hike or a century ride or your first brisk walk after a setback. We're here to say yay to it all and bring on guests to inspire you to move with joy. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wester Flynn. And I'm saying yay to being inspired, Dimity, because today's guest is all that and more. And a side of chips, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all that in a bag of chips, as the kids used to oh, say. Oh, a bag back. of chips. Yeah, not a side of <laughs> chips, a side of French fries. I don't know. I don't know. They don't <laughs> say it anymore because, you know, they say all sorts of things that we don't get. You know, trying yes, to talk to teenagers. Exactly. You know, we'll get into our guests in a minute, but I just want to say that this is somebody who's been an inspiration to me for years as a triathlete. And anyone who's in the multi sport world might know who she is, not to bury the lead, but we just wrapped up the conversation and I'm just like all fluttered, you know, flooded with emotion and I'm ready to tackle the day and look back at my life and look on with new perspective. And, you know, how about you? I mean, what are you feeling right now? I'm feeling the exact same way. Yeah. We're doing the intro after the interview. And um, yeah, I mean, she just, it's Siri Lindley who we will introduce properly in about three seconds, but she was a triathlete in the early 2000s and then became a triathlon coach and has been through quite a bit and has learned a lot of lessons, but makes it feel very doable. She's not coming at it from a, you know, a world champion triathlete mindset. She's coming at it from somebody who has had to pick herself up a lot of mm-hmm. times um, mm-hmm. and it might look pretty strong and fierce from the outside, but uh, actually has a lot of empathy and, and just good ideas coming from the inside. So so let's bring her on. Our guest today is Siri Lindley, a world champion triathlete turned world-renowned triathlon coach, a cancer survivor, a rancher, a wife, a motivational speaker, and now an author. Uh, her new book, Finding a Way, Taking the Impossible and Making it Possible, is out next month. I know you're going to find Siri super inspiring, and we're thrilled to bring her on to the podcast today. So hello, Siri. Great to have you. Oh, Dimity and Sarah, I am so thrilled to be here this morning with you and all of your amazing listeners. So thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you, Siri. And you're very well known in the endurance sports community for all of your accomplishments as an athlete and a coach. But to those who may not be as familiar with you or with triathlon, we'll offer our guests a few of our greatest hits. There's a 2001 ITU world champion in triathlon and aquathlon. You also won races on the triathlon world cup series. And then as a coach, you've guided athletes, including, uh, Rennie Carefrey, Leanne Cave, Sarah True, Susan Williams to 11 world championships and two Olympic teams. There are so many remarkable elements to your career, but one fact that really stands out is the fact you couldn't swim until you were in your twenties and eight years later, you were a world champion. How does that happen? <laughs> Oh my God. Well, first of all, even when you say it, it's like, how did I do that? I mean, there, I know how I did it, but you know, it started with a deep emotional reason why I had to achieve this impossible dream. So, so as you probably know, I was a three sport athlete at Brown University. I was a field hockey, ice hockey, and lacrosse player. And in my senior year, I discovered that I was gay, which was really hard at that time because especially in the family I grew up in, that was just not okay. So uh, put put us in context here, Siri. What year is this? Just oh, so people thanks are a lot, Dimity. Okay, <laughs> this is 1990 or, or 1991, sorry. Okay. So I discover I'm gay and I, I become okay with it because I was just kind of happy to learn something about myself. And now I can just move forward and try and get comfortable with me. But my father, who was my biggest fan, my best friend, my deepest source of love, 
he called me one day and he was in floods of tears and he couldn't even speak. And when he finally got his words, he said, somebody told me you're gay. Siri, I beg you, tell me that this isn't true because I can't possibly have a daughter that's gay. And I said, dad, you know, it's true, but I'm the same me. Please just love me anyway. And he hung up the phone and I didn't hear from him for the next two years. And after that, I was lucky to get a phone call on Christmas. And when I did, I just, you know, yelled and screamed at him and told him what a horrible father he was. But, you know, in his rejection, it made me feel like now that I was gay, I was worthless. I was unlovable. I didn't belong. And this is when I discovered triathlon. I went and I watched a friend of mine who who worked at the YMCA where I worked. And I was just in awe of all these people, so different, every single one of them, some young, some old, some big, some small, some slow, some fast, but they were all pushing themselves beyond what they thought they were capable of. And they were finding themselves through this challenge. And I thought, you know what, this is going to be the vehicle through which I find me. And by that, I mean, this is where I can prove to myself that even as a gay woman, I can achieve something that I think is really special, that I can inspire others. Maybe I can even make a difference in this world. And most importantly, underneath it all is maybe this is how I can find a love and respect for myself, which means that maybe I can be loved by another. So this is when it all started, but the problem was I didn't know how to swim. And I'm 22 <laughs> years old. Say, so you're in the pool being like, I'm looking for love and respect and learning how to freestyle. Like, how did that, <laughs> like, how did that work? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, my friend, she promised to help me and we got to the pool and she said, show me what you got. And I said, oh, well, there's a little bit of a problem. I've only watched my mom swim and she's got this beautiful head of blonde hair that she takes, you know, hours to get looking the way it does. So when she swims, because she loves to swim, she does the swan. Do you girls know that the swan? <laughs> no. Where the head's out of the water and <laughs> okay. everything sure, coming sure. under the water. <laughs> so I get in and that's what I started doing. And she said, oh, my God, you didn't tell me it was this bad. <laughs> but she put some time into me and, and I did my first race and I came in dead last. I got in a lane that was way too fast. I got yelled at, screamed at, you know, kicked in the face. But I had never felt so alive in my entire life because I was taking a chance on me. And it was after that race where that night I started crying because I was now suddenly remembering all the things I was oblivious to when I was in the race. And that was the people laughing and yelling at me. And I went into my mom's bedroom and she said, Oh, Siri, you did it. I'm so proud of you. You know, now you can go do something that you're good at. <laughs> yeah. And I said, oh. I said, mom, you don't get it. Um, one day I'm going to be the best in the world in this sport. And she nearly fainted, you mm -hmm. know, but I had to do this for me. I had to at least try for me because I felt like this was the only way I was going to be okay with being me is if mm -hmm. I could do something where I could earn my own worthiness and love. And when you've got a deep emotional reason why this matters and it's something like that deep and we all have it that deep, but sometimes we don't dig deep enough to figure out that that's what it is nothing stops you. I mean, I just failed over and over and over again and made a fool out of myself so many times, but nothing was going to stop me because this was, this was deeply important to the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you mentioned that you played the cross field hockey and ice hockey in college and you were the first woman at college or at your college at Brown to play three varsity sports in one year. And you say that sports set you free. So what, did you have that feeling of like liberation with your, your ball and puck sports or was it something about triathlon specifically that felt like it, it had that liberation attached? Oh my, I mean, the freedom and the liberation came when I was in college, I suffered deeply with anxiety and fear and nobody spoke about anxiety and fear at, at that time in 1990. 
so I felt like a crazy person and and my release, the only place where I could just let go and have some freedom from that was on the field or on the ice. And it really, I, I believe it kind of saved my life. And, and I remember I got recruited for all three sports, but my field hockey and lacrosse coach was the same person. And when I got to Brown, she said, you're going to have to choose because if you play ice hockey, it's going to interfere with the field hockey and lacrosse season. So if you play ice hockey, you can't play field hockey and lacrosse. And I was devastated because it was either play one sport or play two. So for three years, I only played the two. But in the winters, I really struggled with my anxiety and, and my depression because I had no outlet you know, during those three months or whatever it was. And so finally, on my last year, I was a senior. And I went up to my coach and I said, I'm playing hockey this year. And she looked at me and she said, no, you're not. And if you do, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep you on the bench. You're not going to play for me. And I don't know where this came from, you guys, but I, I looked at her and I was terrified. But I said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you can't keep me on the bench. And this, like, I just started working even harder than I ever had, smarter than I ever had, and was able to get that relief in the winter of being able to play a sport I loved and 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 have some freedom from my anxiety. And, and I came back and ended up ultimately playing lacrosse that season because um, I'd taken my performance to the next level. Again, you know, when there's a deep reason why it matters to you, you find magic within you. We all have it within us. You know, we all have it within us. But what is it going to take for you to not only believe that it's there, but to inspire you to bring that out within yourself? Mm-hmm. And you do touch on that in the book and not to give too many spoilers away, but you give kind of like lessons and, and there's assignments in the book that kind of ask the reader to kind of explore within themselves to try to find that magic, right? Yes. And this, I think, is so important. And you can read the book without doing the exercises. That's totally fine. But I think it's inviting you to go on a deep dive into your own stories that you tell, um, patterns that you may be stuck in. So if you're willing to go there and to do the exercises, it is so incredibly powerful. And it really invites you to connect on a much deeper level to you. You know, what do you want? What story in life do you want to live? And what's getting in the way of you living that life? So I'm so proud of this book. And it it really took me going back because, and we all have challenges, right? Like I'm, I'm not, we all go through really hard stuff and we all have proof in our lives of, the times we've overcome challenges that seemed insurmountable, the times that we've achieved something that maybe we didn't believe we could. And it's so important to stack our proof of those things. And and what I've done in writing this book is I've gone back all the way through my life to those key moments that were really hard. And how did I get through it? Like, how did I find my way And so in this book, I'm going to share how I found my way, but I want you to use the same tools and strategies and exercises that I realize I did. I didn't realize it at the time, but I realize I did so that you can find your way, Mm -hmm. not just surviving challenges, but thriving through them, but also saying, you know what, for example, like when I tried triathlon. I came in dead last. I could have told myself the story that I'm 23. I'm already old for this sport. I don't know how to swim. I just came in dead last. This sport's not for me. That could have been very easy. And I think a lot of us in our lives have done that many times, but I wasn't willing to live that story. So I had to tell myself a different story that, you know, I'm a three sport athlete. I've got great work ethic I know how to dig deep. I know how to work hard. And if I just day after day, just show up and lean in and do the best that I can, that one day, one day I will become great at this sport. Mm -hmm. That story felt a lot better for me. So, so then the question becomes, who do you need to become to live that story? And it's conditioning that future you that's going to 
achieve this. Maybe it's a future you that doesn't believe that you can run a marathon. Okay, you've never run more than down the block to your mailbox. Future you, what actions would she take? Well, every day, she'll just do one minute more. Every day, what, what would future you know? She would know that if I just show up every single day and commit to this and look at this as something I get to do, not something I have to do, that every day I'm going to get a little bit better and progress is success. So as long as I build upon that success day after day, one day I'm going to run that marathon. What would your future you that tells the story that you want to live, what would she do? What would she believe? You know, what would she know? What would she focus on? Would she focus on how far she has to go? Oh my God, I've got to run 26.2 miles and I've only run down the block. That's not going to get you there. But she would focus on how every day she's going a little bit further. So every day she's getting closer and closer to achieving that goal that she set for herself. Mm-hmm. And you condition this new story and you become that person that ultimately can achieve the goal that you set for yourself. Sorry, that was long. Are you are you both asleep? Or no, just- we're here. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I love that story. I mean, Siri, you know, I love that narrative. I love, you know, just a little bit looking down the road. But, you know, my general disposition, and I'm working on it, I'm conditioning it to be not that way, but it's how far do I have to go? Not how far have I come? You know, like if I'm in a race, I'm always like ticking down, okay, like one mile down, 25 to go. You know, like that's just the oh way my that God. my mind works. Not Not really. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's so if you could talk a little bit about that, but then also like, again, it sounds you make it sound so linear and kind of easy to be if I'm being clear or I'm being honest. And that's not the case, right? Because so many things come in the way, whether it's like an, you know, a, a busy day where you're like, I can't get in my run today or a day where you kind of beat yourself up because you, you know, you were only able to go for that extra minute didn't happen or whatever. It just wasn't how you pictured it going. Can you talk a little bit about those two things? Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. This is so not linear. But what I believe it is, is it's commitment to ourselves to advocate for ourselves in every moment. Now, say you couldn't get your run in. You had too busy a day and you could only do a mile rather than the four miles that you planned on doing. Like, how do, how do you define success? Now, a lot of runners or athletes define success by doing exactly what's on the training plan. And if they do yeah. that, then that's a success. I want you to expand your idea of success to be maybe success means that on that day when you couldn't get your run done, that you handled it a lot better mentally and emotionally, that you didn't, you weren't hard on yourself. Instead, You treated yourself as you would your best friend that didn't get their run in. Would you be saying to them, oh, my God, I can't believe you didn't do your run today. You suck. You would never. Mm -hmm. You'd say, hey, you know, don't worry about it. You, You were taking care of your kids and your life, and that's amazing. And just the fact that you were able to accomplish those things means that tomorrow when you do get to do your run, you're going to feel so much more, you know, centered inside because you don't have lingering things that you didn't do. So how would you speak to yourself if you were speaking to your best friend having missed out on the same thing you did today? So it's a commitment to how do we honor ourselves every day? My definition of success was always was progress. Any kind of progress that I'm making physically, emotionally, mentally, I would like demand for myself that every day to look at how did I make progress today? Maybe I had a bad run and I was upset about it for five hours instead of eight hours today. Like that's progress. I log that as progress because at the time when I'm taking up the sport, all I'm doing, if if I thought success was just, you know, winning a race, I'd be failing every single day. And I would have given up after probably a month. But because my definition of success was progress, every single day I was noting, you know, what progress I made. And so every day I'm feeling like I accomplished something and success builds upon success. Now, on the other side of that, how do you define failure? Is failure like if I don't do the workout exactly as it's written on paper, I have failed. 
If that's your definition of failure, you are making it so easy to feel like a failure that, again, that's probably going to either, you know, rob you of the joy that used to come from running or it's going to have you quit altogether. So for me, there was no such thing as failure because any time I fell short or I got disappointed, I would ask myself, what am I learning from this? Failure was learning. And when we learn, that's how we grow. And when we grow, that's how we make progress. And that progress is what leads us to achieving our goal. So really, if you're not willing to fail, you're not willing to succeed. So I want you all to think about how can you redefine success for yourself? How can you redefine failure? So even amongst days where it's not what you wanted, you can still feel accomplished. Yeah, I'm what I'm, I'm hearing gray, right? Instead of black and white. And that's, I mean, I think many of us, I mean, as you get older, I see more gray, or as I get older, I see more gray, and not just in my hair, but everywhere. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, it's, it is black and white, you know, it's either I do the inner, the workouts as mm-hmm. written, or I don't, right? And that's, yeah. and that's kind of shifted to like, okay, I did the spirit of the workout, or like you said, like, okay, I didn't dwell so much on not getting the workout in, or I moved stuff around, I was more flexible, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And even, you know, I have a lot of, we, my wife and I run the serious squad and it's for people that have basically never worked out before and they work out 15 to 20 minutes a day. And it's super, you know, it's, it's intervals and it's fun and it's short. It's easier to stick to it because it's short. But -hmm. sometimes even with that, They say, you know what? I can't do the 15 minutes, so I'm not going to do it at all. How many of us do that? Mm -hmm. If I can't do the full thing, I'm not going to do it at all. And what I say is, you know what? Put your run shoes on and just give me two minutes, just two minutes. Because at least then you feel like you accomplished something, number one. And number two, you're showing up for yourself. Because we can say, you know, I've got the kids, I've got work, I've got this, I I can't take this time for me. But isn't two minutes better than no minutes. And that way too, you're showing up for yourself. You're following through with a promise to yourself. And it's that consistency that builds everything for you. It lays the foundation for all future success. And I want to just touch upon, Dimity, you talk about, um, and, and you're not alone in how you your tendency is to focus on how far you have to go versus how far you've come. And I just want to give an example to show you just how different you show up when you look at it as how far you've come. It's a different energy, right? Like when we're like, oh my God, I have 25 more miles to go. And to be fair, I've never really said that, but you know what I'm saying? Oh, I I have. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I have. Oh, Dimity. And again, it's not a straight line. So it's this constant redirecting of focus. So, So maybe that's the answer here. It's a constant redirecting of your focus. You're focusing on, I've got 25 more miles to go. How does that make you feel? Um, For me, it's like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And from that space, I don't feel, you know, strong and energized and ready to crush it. But if I say, okay, one down, boom, you know, it's it's a higher energy level, which means that I'll probably have a little bit more to bring to that because this was one of my issues, Dimity. Like I would, I was always in a 10K race. I was like, oh my God, I've only done 400 meters. And it was just daunting. But when I went to the Olympic trials, um, I choked, I quit. Biggest race of my career and I quit, I choked. And because of that, you know, I fell into a, a deep depression And part of the reason, well, the biggest, two big reasons for that depression is number one, I quit, but thankfully I owned it. I told everyone that I choked because I knew if I lied about it, like that was going to be it for me in the sport. But the other thing was that all I was focusing on is how far I had to go four more years Mm. to get another chance. Mm -hmm. And it just like destroyed me. And I went back to thinking at a time at Brown University where I was in such a deep depression that I was, you know, I was almost ready to check out. I just didn't have the energy to keep pretending that everything was okay. But I made it through that. And I, and so in this deep depression after the Olympic trials, I said, Siri, how did you get out of this last time? And 
I thought about it, it was a complete shift in focus because I realized that at that time in college and at this time right now at the Olympic trials, all I'm focusing on is how far I have to go, what's missing, what's wrong, everything I can't control. And think about that. When you're in a moment of suffering, emotional yeah. suffering, you're probably thinking about everything that's wrong, everything that's missing, everything you don't want or, you know, and everything you have no control over. And in college, what I started doing is I said, you know what, like, this is not going to get me out of this space. So instead, in every moment possible, I'm going to change the channel to focus on what's good, what I have, what, what I can appreciate, what I want, where I'm headed, what I'm working towards, and what I can control. And, and every single one of us get to go first in deciding what to focus on and what meaning to give anything that happens to us. We can give it a disempowering meaning that holds us back and discourages us and throws us in a deep, dark depression, or we can give it an empowering meaning. So in this moment at the Olympic trials, I thought, okay, in every moment, I've got to focus on how far I've come. You know, what I have, I've got this incredible work ethic. Six years ago, I didn't even know how to swim. Mm -hmm. And I made it to the Olympic trials. Oh, my God. Suddenly, I'm seeing this is a miracle. Like, then suddenly, I'm appreciating, wow, I can't believe that all those times I made a fool out of myself. I never gave up. I got back up again. You know, I tried, I, I changed my approach, I did things differently. So when we think about how far we've come, it empowers us because we are reminded of all the work we've done, of all the attributes that got us to where we are today. Suddenly we fill ourselves up with proof rather than drowning ourselves in doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. It's just so important. And so, you guys, I just feel like I'm talking and talking and talking. I hope you're finding no, value. No, I totally yeah. you, you have so much energy and you have so many good points. Okay, friends, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more energy and wisdom from Siri. Well, so I, I have a question and I'm like, did you consciously like – throw the Olympic trial? Like what happened? And and I realized this was in like a long time ago, but I'm just curious, like, did you make a decision or were you just like unconscious and you just realized that you were not in the right mind space to do it? I think you're all, there's going to be a lot of people here that can relate to this and maybe this story will help you not do this. (laughs) Because for 365 days before the Olympic trials, every single night before I went to bed, I visualized the perfect race the gun going off, diving in, perfect start. I'm swimming with the front pack. Like everything's just going perfect. And it results in me crossing the finish line. Siri Lindley makes a USA Olympic team. Now, the problem with that is that's setting an expectation, right? How many of us Mm -hmm. do that? And this was like my biggest, biggest kind of Achilles heel when I was racing is expectations destroyed me because the problem with expectations is the minute something goes wrong, you know, what meaning do you give that? Oh my God, this is going to be a horrible day. And this isn't what I expected. And now I'm so disappointed. But the thing is that in any race, even if it's a 5k, even if it's a mile race, things can go wrong. You can have a bad moment. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad day. So anyways, on this day, I dive in the water and within the first 30 seconds, I get an elbow to the face. Mm. I get dunked under the water. And by the time I come up, I've lost the front pack. And I hadn't visualized that. I hadn't prepared for that. I hadn't even, you know, considered that that could happen. So I'm swimming as hard as I possibly can, and people are just passing me and passing me. And I'm, I feel like I've never swum harder, but I'm just being passed by everyone. I get out like near the back of the pack. I get on the bike. I'm, I'm pedaling so hard, but I'm just being passed by people that I had never seen before. And when I got out on the run and I'm so far back, I just quit. I just yeah. quit. I choked. And so in that moment, I do remember thinking, though, you know, people are going to come up to me and say, did you have a mechanical? Like, are you sick? What happened? And I knew that my answer to that question was going to determine my entire capacity 
in the sport in the future. Because if I made up an excuse, I'd lose respect for myself. I wouldn't trust myself. So I had to own it. So the first person that came up, I said, I choked. I expected Mm -hmm. all I did was prepare for the perfect race. And the minute something went wrong, I had no response. I didn't know what to do. But the gift in this and, and my advice to all of you is, yes, visualizing is so important, but I want you to also visualize what could go wrong. And I want you to see yourself like gracefully moving through that and overcoming that challenge and finishing, you know, happy, strong and knowing you did everything in your power to have your best day. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's something that you apply to with your coaching and with your athletes. You have to give them that chance to like think of A, B, and C, right? Outcome A, B, and C. Is that something that you you learn from your own personal experience? Totally. And not just that, but really trying to manage expectations. And I think my last coach was someone who he trained us. It was just, it was brutal. It was just, the training made no sense at all, but it was exactly what I needed because what happened, you know, he trained us so hard we weren't allowed to get massages, physical therapy, anything. So the first race back after training with him, I could barely, I was so stiff and sore. I didn't know like if the gun went off, you know, am I even going to be able to take that first stroke? That's how sore I was. Wow. And that day, you know, the gun went off. I was able to take that first stroke and that was my first World Cup podium ever. Now, was it the training or was it the fact that I went into this race saying, you know what? I don't even know if I'm, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to move. So I had zero expectations. And when we have no expectations except to just do the best that we can with what we have, just do the best that you can with what you have in every moment, that allows us to truly tap into our fullest potential. So with my athletes, um, definitely going into a race. It's really getting a sense of, you know, what are your expectations here? Like the biggest, like cringeworthy moment is if they say, I'm going to win this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I love that you're confident. Okay. That's great. But we need to remove that expectation. And instead let's string together as many moments as we can, where you are fully present and giving the best that you have or doing the best that you can with what you have in every single moment, racing your race. You're not thinking about something bad that could happen in the next mile. You're not worried about a mistake you made in the mile behind you. You are just in the moment and present. So I think that, ex- and and you girls tell me, like, what do you think about expectations? It's tricky, Siri. I'm a high school track coach. And so I have kids who don't have the life experience <laughs> that you have and that I have. And they come up to me and they, I'm going to win or I'm going to drop 20 seconds. So I'm constantly checking them and, and trying to do what you just talked about in that managing expectations. But at the same rate, I question myself as a coach, like, should I be pushing them more? Should I be putting that mm. onus of like, win, you you should win because you're the best and I believe in you. Or do I just yeah. say, I believe in you and whatever happens, happens. So I'm kind of always teetering the line there. Um, when it's obvious that they could win, I tell them. Mm-hmm. As far as my own expectations, it's tough, right? It's like sometimes I just like let it let go and I just say whatever happens, happens. That's because I, I grew up with a lot of pressure, putting a lot of pressure on myself as an athlete. So I've mm-hmm. kind of just like gone to the other yeah. side where I'm just like, <laughs> what you say, stay present, be, be there, trust the training, trust that you set yourself up for this. So, you know, I kind of wear two hats in that regard. And Sarah, that's so true. And that's so real. So you got me thinking here. And when you have, because you want to develop a winning attitude, Mm -hmm. right? You want them to, but maybe, maybe it's saying, yeah, you know what? You can win, but it's going to require this, 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 and this. It's going to require you because I'm remembering going into the Ironman World Championships and having athletes that say, you know, I want to win this tomorrow. Okay, that's great. You said that out loud to me and to you, but now this is what has to happen in order for you to do mm-hmm. that. 
You are going to have to push yourself up against your threshold for pain and stay there for the entire nine hours. Like you are going to have to dig deeper than you have ever dug before because in that place, that's where you will tap into everything that you have that will see you win the race should you do that. So maybe it's that maybe it's saying, yeah, I know you can win it. Like you Mm -hmm. said, Sarah, I know you can win it. But in order to do that, this is what has to happen. And that's a commitment and that's going to be hard. And that is going to require you digging deeper than you've ever dug before. So maybe that mm-hmm. becomes the expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I like it. I like it. We have one coach in our Train Like a Mother Club. Um, she just ran Boston and I was talking to her about it, Jess. And and she was saying like the the best thing she wants our athletes to be is at peace with the decisions that that they make on race day. Mm-hmm. You know, like to right. to not question them, right? And so, you know, if that means you have to go to the porta potty, that's fine. You know, or you made the decision during the Olympic trials to, you know, bow out a little bit. And I think that if you can make peace with that and be like, okay, that's what I'm doing. You know what? And that's okay. I think that that's a nice way to approach it, mm. a soft way to approach <laughs> it. I guess I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and Dimity. I mean, it wasn't okay that I quit. Like that was not okay, but at all, but it's something I learned from, you know, I knew that I was never, ever going to quit again. And um, actually at the world championships where, where I became a world champion on that day, I came out near the back from the swim. And in the past, this, the meaning I would give that is, you know, bad swim race is over at this level. That was my old meaning I would give. But on this day I'd worked so hard, like, and I was never ever going to quit again. Like I did at the Olympic trials. And on this day I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a different meaning. This is an opportunity for me to put my head down, go harder than I've ever gone before and just see how close I can get to the front. Yeah, yeah. Now that gave me energy. That gave me something to commit to. And, you know, I rode harder than I've ever ridden before. I caught the fourth pack, the third pack, the second pack. And by the end of the bike, I was at the front mm, of the race. Nice. But think about how do you show up when you give something the meaning of bad swim race is over, or bad first mile race is over. What do you then do? How do you show up? Is it with the energy that's going to make it a good day? Not at all. But if you change it, change the meaning to something that empowers you, my God, that could be the greatest day of your life like it was for me. Yeah. But on, on your what you said, Dimity, you know, and I love what you said, like be be happy with the decisions that you make as far as like stopping at the porta potty. And I just want to you know, for all of you listening, I'll never forget my wife was racing Ironman Melbourne and she started the run and her laces on her shoe were way too tight. Okay. Like so tight, but she didn't want to stop because she thought if I stop and change the laces, that's going to be like two minutes, you know, what a waste of time. But she has to run a full marathon. Let's just be clear. Like it's not, it's not, this is not a 5k. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So say you have to use a porta potty and you've got a whole marathon ahead of you. Like, trust me that minute and a half that it's going to take to, you know, redo your laces or to let go of whatever you need to let go of in the porta potty is going to save you so much time in the end. And what happened was, you know, she got so sore, her foot blew up, and it ended up really affecting her marathon time. But then again, like a year later, same thing happened. She stopped. She took the minute and a half. She shifted her shoelaces and had the run of her life. Mm -hmm. So just remember that sometimes, you know, we all feel like we have to just keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Just like you said in the beginning, Dimity, it's not a straight line. Life is not linear. Sometimes... It's taking that step back that allows you to go forward that much quicker and that much yeah. more effectively. Yeah. Well, let's switch turns for just a second. You're awesome, Siri. I mean, I could I could listen to you all day long. Just just if you don't just like stuff yourself in my pocket and just well, you're like, awesome. Well, I want you both in my pocket, so I've got two <laughs> pockets for each. Of them. Um, but you were diagnosed in 2019 with acute myeloid leukemia with just a 10 percent chance of survival, which must have just been. I mean, talk a little bit about that and how you took this positive energy and put perspective on it. Uh, I mean, and we talk positive energy and let me tell you, it's not like it's, it's a constant 
redirecting of my focus and my thoughts and my meaning. It's, it's a, it's a commitment. Okay. So I got diagnosed in November of 2019. And I'll never forget. I had my wife standing next to me in the kitchen. I had my doctor on speakerphone. And first of all, I mean, the tone of his voice was like, oh my God. And he said, you've got acute myeloid leukemia with a genetic mutation that's going to make this really, really difficult to treat. And my wife just lost it. Like she is screaming at the top of her lungs. She's got tears flooding down her face. And objectively, you know, I'm I'm standing there and I'm hearing his voice and I'm watching her. And and what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. is that this is the end. And I'm absolutely devastated. I'm terrified. I'm falling apart. But something in me just yelled out, this is not my time to go. Everybody, like, I'm going to survive this and I'm going to thrive on the other side. Now, here's the thing. Did I believe that in that moment? Of course not. I am terrified. I am devastated. I am falling apart. But I couldn't afford to believe the story that they're telling me that this is the end. And again, I want to ask you, like, the meaning that I gave it meant that, okay, what do I need to do to become that person that's going to survive this, that's that's going to become that person that is not only going to survive, but will thrive on the other side? What would she do? What steps would she take? What decisions would she make? You know, number one, what meaning am I going to give this? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to give it the meaning that this is the end. So instead, you know, maybe what I'm going through now is preparing me for what I asked for. And what I asked for was to somehow be able to give back to this life, to give back to this world, to make a difference in this world. Maybe who I become in overcoming this, or at least trying, will give me what I need to truly have the impact that I want to have in in the world around me. And The other thing, so if we think it's the end, how do we show up? Think about a relationship. If you give a relationship the meaning that, oh man, this is just the beginning of the end, are you going to be like doing the things you did in the beginning of the relationship, bringing flowers and having fun and laughing and deep conversations and presence? No, you're not because Mm -hmm. it's the end. Mm -hmm. But when I give it the meaning of like, I'm going to survive this, then I actively, no matter how sick I was, I actively... And, you know, going all in on my decision to do two clinical trials and, and believe in it and never look back. You know, I am actively saying, okay, that, that me, that future me that's going to survive this, what else would she do? Well, she would find out every other thing that she could be doing right now to survive this. And I tell stories about, you know, when I was in the hospital and I was, I was so sick, you guys, I mean... I, I was just like, I'd lost 25 pounds. Um, I'm hanging on for dear life. But in these moments where I was so just in pain and sick and fearful, I would catch myself and I would say, focusing on on this, on how sick you are, how weak you are, how much pain you're in, that is not going to help you heal. What must I focus on instead? And I would change the channel to gratitude. You know, gratitude was my bridge from despair to hope. I would look at my mom. She'd slept on the couch in the hospital every single night for 30 plus nights. And I felt so grateful. I thought about, you know, the umbilical cord and my sister who donated their cells to give me life. And I felt so grateful. I felt grateful for my wife. I felt grateful for my doctors. Suddenly in that state of gratitude, which is a higher energy state than fear and pain and suffering, all this stuff, I made better choices as to what to focus on. So I'd start looking at the walls of my hospital room that were covered in vision boards that I had made, you know, reminding me of what I was fighting for, reminding me of my compelling future. This is, this is what we're fighting for. You know, the trail rides on my horse, the run up my favorite mountain, you know, dinners with my family. And then from that, again, because you're in the state of gratitude, you're thinking about what you want in your future. So so it's raising my energy a little bit again. Then I start thinking about my proof. Because in times of deep despair, most 
of the time we're stacking all our doubts, all our fears, all the stories that are going to keep us in that space. And I had a poster of me winning the world championships up on my wall. And that was my proof, proof that the impossible is really possible because my dream as a triathlete was basically impossible, but somehow I made it possible. And we all have proof. I said this earlier, we all have proof of times when we overcame a challenge that seemed insurmountable. We all have proof of times that we achieved something that we didn't think that we can. And when you are in a time of deep despair, you must, you know, be the first responder to your own suffering. You must do what you would do for a friend. And that is stack your proof of all the reasons why you will make it through this. Mm -hmm. And this was a constant process, you guys. I was not like this happy camper, you know, trying to survive acute myeloid leukemia. I was in deep, deep suffering. But what I did do is with any ounce of energy that I had, I would redirect my focus to gratitude, to finding something I could appreciate. My God, I have health insurance. You know, I can, I, 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 I sure. can be in this hospital. I have insurance. Mm-hmm. I have family that loves me. I have people that are praying for me. What can you appreciate in your worst moment? Because if you can find something to appreciate that is going to raise your energy level just enough to where you will focus on things that will move you towards what you want versus moving you away from everything that you want and making everything worse. Mm -hmm. So now just a life update. You're cancer-free, correct? Yes. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Um, you had a stem cell transplant and a bone marrow transplant. Is that correct? Well, so I was on two clinical trials and the first clinical trial um, was on two medications, venetoclax and azacitidine. It's a, a form of chemotherapy. And they were just, it, I was number seven on this clinical trial. And um, it put me in remission to where I could go into the hospital and get the bone marrow transplant, which basically this was a second clinical trial was bringing together an umbilical cord donor and my sister's cells. And when they transplant that into my body, what happens is my sister's cells that were older uh, teach the umbilical cord cells how to run my immune system. And because the umbilical cord cells are babies and they're stronger, eventually, once they learn the ropes, they kill off my sister's cells and they basically become my immune system. So I have an immune system of a three-year-old right now. I had all my baby vaccinations and all like, I mean, it's really a miracle, but things have come so far. And AML typically is something that can take people within weeks of diagnosis and I just feel so deeply blessed to be here still today. You know, I lost a lot of friends that um, were going through the same thing. And I feel that having this miracle of life, and I want to remind you all, like every single breath that you take is a miracle, you know, and we oftentimes don't think about what it would be like to not have this. And I think that it's kind of a gift that that comes with going through something that I did and being faced with the fact that I may not have a tomorrow. Really embrace this life that you have because it is the ultimate gift and every breath that you take matters and, and choose to live the life that you want to live and become that person, be that person. But I feel a deep sense of responsibility to the people that didn't make it and to the world and to show God or the universe or whatever you all believe in that I will make good use of this life that I feel so blessed to have. What can I do with it? How can I touch lives? How can I make a difference? And that's when I wrote this book. And I really believe that this book can be a gift to a lot of people and will help a lot of people find their way. And I'm praying that that's the case because I I feel like I really want to make that kind of a difference and do something with this life that I'm so blessed to have. Mm-hmm. 
Well, having read your book, Siri, your energy that you've exuded in this conversation really comes through on the page. Um, it was just so uplifting to read your stories, your anecdotes, how you got through all of these challenges. And then you kind of flip the script and turn it onto the reader, like I said before. So I just feel like anybody who reads this book is going to learn so much about you, but also learn so much about themselves and just to live in the way that you've tackled life. I mean, obviously you've gotten through so much with this wonderful perspective that you have. So I think readers will really take away a lot from your book. So thank you for sharing that with the world because you do have so much to say. I know you're a motivational speaker. Not everybody gets to hear you speak live, but they get to read your book and it really is a great book. So thank you. Sarah, thank you. That means the absolute world to me. And and the biggest part, yeah, that I want is for every single person to know that you have everything you need inside of you. Sometimes it's a matter of doing a little deep dive into your current, you know, patterns of focus and the way you do things or, or even just coming to know yourself better. So you know what you want Mm -hmm. and you know what needs to happen to have what you want. And that's the ultimate goal is to really encourage every reader to find their own way by digging deep into their own self and, and hopefully falling in love with themselves along the way. Mm -hmm. So important. Well, thank you, Siri. Good luck with everything. Good luck with the book. Good luck with just spreading the good word, you know, spreading the energy. Well, you too, please continue the amazing work that you do. I am so inspired by another mother runner and what an amazing community you've developed. I feel so blessed that you've shared this time with me so that I can be a part of this community, even if just briefly, but uh, keep shining your light in this world. You're both amazing. And I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to meet you and to speak to all your listeners. Thank you so much. You're so kind. (laughs) 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 No, you're awesome. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to meet you in person someday. Yeah, I know. On the triathlon course somewhere. Thanks, Yuri. Are you thinking about running the Indianapolis Half Marathon or Marathon? If so, please join us for Better Together, a unique program where we pair experienced runners, we're calling them mentors, with runners who are taking on that distance for the first time or first in a long time. Those are our protege runners. Under the guidance of coaches Jess and Amy, the mentors and protégés will train together, either virtually or in real life, and then gather together in Indianapolis on October 28th to cross a finish line. You will never forget. So excited for this program. So check out the details in our show notes and let us know if you have any questions. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. Fire on the Bluff.